Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Maybe like some of you, when I was like in uh, high school, junior high, I went through this season where I didn't think anything was fair. Anybody else? You're just kind of like, that's not fair. That's not right. I can remember there'd be times I'd come home and I didn't like things, you know, that were happening at school. And I, ah, that's not right. That's not fair. I don't think we should have to do that. I shouldn't be treated that way. That teacher doesn't like me. I would say things like that. And I can remember when I was kind of in that zone. My dad had one of two responses that he would give to me. One, there would be times when I just start complaining about something and he'd look at me and he'd go, do you want me to go down there? The last thing I wanted was for my dad to go down there. Like, that's not why I was telling him. The other thing, I would start complaining about something and I'd say, dad, it's just not fair. And he'd say to me, you're right. That's not fair. Let's call Oprah. <laughs> like, you remember, remember that Oprah show? Like people go on there and whine about stuff. So he was like, we'll call Oprah. I'm sure she'd want to have you on her show. Here's the thing. My dad, he knew how to kind of shut me down, but I always knew this, that if I had trouble, that if I had a problem, that if I needed somebody to have my back, my dad would have fought for me. More than anybody else, he would have gone to the mat for me if there was a time when I felt like I needed somebody to be there for me in the midst of that. And sometimes we need to know that somebody has our back, that somebody's there for us, that they're looking out for our best interest, because there's times when you feel like that the whole world may be against you. You ever been there? I mean, that may sound a little dramatic, the whole world's against me, but the truth is we feel that way sometimes. Life has its ups and downs, doesn't it? And there's times when we feel like, hey, everything's going great, and there's times when we feel like things are falling apart, and we might have a great day, and then we have a tough day, and we might have times where we face frustration or challenges, or maybe even for some of you, what you face feels like just outright opposition that's coming your way. Your work situation is horrible. You have family struggles. Seems like you're interacting with people who just don't have your best interest in mind. Your classes are challenging, or your, your marriage needs help, or maybe you've been blessed actually with this incredible opportunity, but it seems bigger than what you know how to handle, and you're trying to figure out how do I navigate times like this. I think this, this correlates to where we see the disciples at in Acts chapter four. If you have your Bibles, would you, would you turn there with me, whether you have it in a print or a digital form? Acts chapter four, we've, we've been working our way through the book of Acts. We spent the last few weeks kind of all around this same story in Acts chapter three, chapter four. Today, we're gonna look at the last segment of this. And if you remember, when we kind of last left, Peter and John had been thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. Then they were being interrogated by the Jewish leaders, the religious and the, and the legal leaders of their time. And when we get to this point in the story, they've just been released by those leaders. And what we're gonna watch today is their response. What we're gonna do is, is start with verse 23, and we're just gonna kind of go verse by verse through this passage of scripture. And as we work our way through this scripture, I wanna make what, what might seem to be like random observations about the things that we're gonna see in this passage. But what I hope you'll pick up from this today are some tools that when you find yourself in the midst of a life that seems to be up and down, or if there's times when you feel like the whole world is against you, you're gonna have some tools today that will help in those times when you face opposition from others or when you're disappointed in yourself or when, even when you're kind of frustrated in God's plan that these things will help us. So let's jump in, Acts chapter four. Let's start with verse 23 and kind of work our way through this story. On their release... Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So, so we don't know exactly what it means when it says that they went back to their own people. 
Some scholars speculate that maybe they went back to the upper room where they had met previously with 120 in Acts chapter 1 and, and got there with those folks. Other scholars say that maybe they went back to the temple courts. That's where they'd been meeting, and, and possibly there were thousands of believers together there in this point. We don't know exactly who it was or where it was. We just know that something important happened when they came together with, and, and I love the way Scripture says this, they were back together with their own people. Can you imagine that reunion? Their friends and the other believers were probably a little stressed out over this whole thing. I'm going to guess it had been 24, maybe 36 hours since they had seen Peter and John, and they had heard rumors. They had heard stories. They knew they'd been put in jail. They knew they had to go face-to-face with the Sanhedrin, with the leaders, and they come walking in, and people probably start hugging them and, and grabbing on them and asking questions. Where have you been? We are so worried. What were you doing out there? What's going to happen next? Have you lost weight? Look at those bags under your eyes. You look so tired. Look at all that gray hair. No, that's what, that's what some of you say to me in the atrium. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, so, but can you imagine the responses that people had in that moment when they saw them and they all came together? I think there's an important principle for us to pull from this, and it's this. Find places and people where you can be spiritually encouraged. It's important that all of us find places and find people in our lives where we can be spiritually encouraged. We need times, just like Peter and John, where we know we can be with our own people. Now, I don't mean that that means you isolate yourself from society or that you try to be ostracized or or weird in that kind of way, but you have to know when and where you can find places where you will be spiritually encouraged. I read a, an interesting article this week that, that, that dealt with business travelers. Now, this is mostly in Europe, but you know how if you're, you're traveling, you can go to a hotel, and when you go to the hotel, if, if you pay a little bit, they, they might be able to do your laundry for you, or they'll make arrangements for your travel or help you with certain things. One of the new services that some hotels are offering is that you can rent for the night a goldfish for your room. That if you feel like maybe you're lonely, you'd like a little company, for, for about three euro, if you're in, in, in Europe, you can rent a goldfish that will be an addition in your room so you won't be all alone and you'll have a little something to keep you company. That's a little different, isn't it? It's a little desperate, isn't it? <laughs> but it raises an interesting point. For all of us, there's times when we just know, I, I need somebody. Here's my question for you. Who are your goldfish? Who are the people in your life that you know in those times when you need someone to be with you, when you can be around those where you will be spiritually encouraged? Where do you go? Who are those people? What, what is that place? Our, our hope and prayer is that this will be one of those places for you, that when you come to church on a Sunday or when you connect with, with a connect group, and, we, and we're gonna talk more about that in the next couple of weeks, when you interact with people, parents, that you make your home a place that's like that, that there will be a place that you can come and know that you'll be spiritually encouraged by being with people who share the same faith and the same values that you do. I'd, I'd also encourage this. Um, one of the blessings of technology is that we're able to take the things that happen in this room and, and it can go all over, literally all over the world. We know that every Sunday, we have hundreds of people who are watching online as these services are happening. I met not too long ago a lady from Australia who was here in town and says she watches our services every week you know, online. And it's interesting how that happens, but I would encourage you 
The online thing is awesome. It's great if you're out of town or maybe if you're sick and you can't come to church. But if you can get to a church, there is so much more value in being in church and around the people of God than just sitting and watching this on a screen. There's value in that. You need to find the people and the places where you can be spiritually encouraged. So watch what happens next, verse 24. When they heard this, when they heard what Peter and John had to say, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. What's interesting here is that instead of freaking out and instead of packing their bags and trying to run out of town, they immediately lift their voices to God. The first thing that they do is that they look to him and they cry out to him. Most likely there was one of, of them that was a leader that began to lead them in prayer. And it's almost with one voice, they began to pray and lift up their need to God, which helps us to see this truth. There is spiritual power in corporate declaration. There is spiritual power in corporate declaration. When we come together and when we lift up a prayer to God or when we sing a song to God, there's something powerful that happens when corporately we look to him. This recording that we're doing today, and in just a few moments, we're going we're gonna to sing some songs. And as those songs are recorded, we're, we're capturing those so that we can share those songs with other people. Those are songs that, that have been written by the people that will be leading us on the platform. They've been written for us as a church. So there's some power in that, in that these are corporate declarations that we sing to God about what we need from him, who he is to us, and who we praise him for who he is. And what's interesting about this is, and this is what I kind of see from behind the scenes, is that the, the sermons that we're going through in the book of Acts have kind of been mapped out for quite some time now. And so we've known where we were going to be each week. And originally, when we were planning the recording, it was supposed to happen next week. But there were some conflicts in scheduling, and so it got pushed up a week, which is interesting how God lines things up, because I think what you're going to see is as you listen to this message, and then as we sing these songs... I just thought it was amazing how God lined the two up perfectly, that the things we're going to see from his word, we're going to declare corporately in a few moments as we sing them together. Isn't it neat how God lines things up? Which is really cool because next week is the story of Ananias and Sapphira, which doesn't always cause you to praise God, if you know that story, <laughs> right? And so it's, it's interesting to watch how God lines those things up. There's something powerful about this. Here's what else I thought's interesting about that passage is when they get together, they hear what's happening, and the very first thing they do is they pray. When they know what's going on, prayer is their response. Prayer should be our first response and not our last resort. And too many times when I face a situation, I try to figure things out, I try to get research, I try to think it through. What if instead of making prayer the last thing I do, what if I started making it the first thing I do? Sometimes that may mean that I assess a situation and, and decide to just kind of hold off and pray for a while, or I'm going I'm to take this to the Lord. Sometimes it may mean that in the moment, I have to say, God, before I make a decision, will you help me? God, will you help me in dealing with this individual or responding to this situation or knowing the right way to go? It could be just a simple prayer of, God, would you help me? But what if I made prayer my first response and not my last resort when I'm facing a crisis, when I've been mistreated? when life is uncertain. Look, prayer helps me in those moments because it lets me think objectively about the situation. Too many times I wanna respond with what's in my gut, and many times instead of what's in my gut, what I need is a little bit of grace because my gut doesn't always serve me well. Anybody else? 
And I need to trust God in those moments and have the mind of Christ and get God's perspective on those things and stop and pray, making prayer my first response and not my last resort. I had to have an awkward conversation recently. And uh, it was one of those ones that you know is important to have, but you really don't want to have it. And so I, I made arrangements to meet with my friend and have the conversation. And I don't think he knew what was coming. I just thought we're you know, kind of hooking up. And, and so I prayed about this. And I knew um, that I had the courage to have the conversation because I didn't want to have it, but I knew it was important. And I had a strategy. I knew what I was going to say, how I was going to bring it up. I knew when. I knew the place. I went into this thing ready. And as I prayed about it, I felt like the Lord said, why don't you push your strategy and plan aside, and why don't you just go have a conversation? Why don't you not try to force this but why don't you just go without an agenda and just have a conversation with this person? And I thought, well, okay, that's, that's how I felt led of the Lord. And so we did that, and I kind of pushed my plans aside. What was interesting was as I had no agenda, and as I didn't force this conversation, he was the one that brought up the awkward topic. And without me ever having to mention it or even weigh in on it, he responded in a way that helped me to know that the whole thing was taken care of without me having to get aggressive in the midst of it. Have you ever realized that sometimes God's plan is better than your strategy? And I'm so thankful I prayed about that. And I walked away from that meeting and I said, God, thank you that as I prayed, you guided me and directed me. And then I was reminded of all the times that I've messed that up and how many times I've tried to do it my way first instead of praying and getting his way. And it reminds me, I want to make prayer my first response and not my last resort and let God lead me in that. So when they prayed, what did they pray? Look at this, Acts verse, four, or verse 24 of Acts chapter 4. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God and look at the content of their prayer. Sovereign Lord, remember that phrase, we'll come back to that in a moment. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. That phrase, sovereign Lord, is interesting because in the New Testament, it's only used five times of God. It's not just the, the word Lord that you see so often, but that title, sovereign Lord, has a meaning behind it of one who has supreme authority over everything. And when they used that, that wasn't just random. They used that title very deliberately because as they said that, they were saying, God, in light of our circumstance, we know you're the one who has supreme authority over everything. In fact, you could trace that word back to a passage in Jeremiah chapter one, and they're actually kind of quoting that from the Old Testament. Those were their scriptures, right? These, these early Jewish believers, they were quoting Old Testament scripture where God is called sovereign Lord in this passage in Jeremiah, and they're reminding themselves of who he is. And they say, sovereign Lord, you are the maker of heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. Isn't that very poetic? Do you think they made that up? No, they're, they're praying that and they're quoting that from Psalm 146, verses six and seven, which talk about how God is the maker of heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. Do you realize this? They're, they're praying the scriptures as they're praying in the middle of their crisis and they're using the things that they know to be true about God to remind them who he is. In times when we face challenges and crisis, it's good for us to remind ourselves and know who God is, that he's the one who called us, that he's the one who defends us, that he's the one who helps us. And I don't wanna minimize this because for some of you, you're hearing this message 
In fact, I just, I just talked to some people in the atrium on the way back in here after the last service. And for some of you, you're hearing this message and you're saying to yourself, yep, that's me. I've had that kind of week. I feel like I'm riding the ups and downs of life. I'm facing opposition. I have crisis. I have challenges. And be reminded of this. I don't want to minimize the things that you're facing, but when the challenge is big, make God bigger. When you pray, when you look to him, no matter what that challenge is, be reminded that God is bigger than that challenge, right? And whatever you're facing, when the challenge is big, as you pray, remind yourself with the truths from his word that God is bigger. I read a a story this week that came out of a, a town called Coventry in England And some folks had to call the animal control people to come to their house. The reason they called them is because they looked in their daughter's bedroom and there was this like large lizard that was in there. And so the animal control people came and this is the the account that the animal control officer gave. She said she approached it cautiously as she was unsure about what breed of lizard it could be. It was around seven inches long, about two inches wide. It was protruding from the edge of the bed And at this point, it wasn't moving at all. As it wasn't very light in the room, she got out her flashlight to see better, and that's when she realized it wasn't a lizard at all. It was a pink stripy sock (laughs) that somehow was there. The people had seen it. They freaked out. Here's, Here's how she wraps it up. She says, I advised the young girl whose bedroom it was to tidy up her room, to take care of her socks, and I reminded her that another one will likely turn up soon as they are usually found in pairs. Sometimes we need to just turn on the light, right? (laughs) For some of us, we've come up against circumstances and situations and our immediate response is to freak out and see how big it is and not be sure what to do when if we would take the light of God's word and his truth and shine it on that situation, we would realize that yes, it may be a real challenge and yes, it may be something to be concerned about, but our God is bigger than that thing. And so when your challenge is big, Make sure that when you pray, you're deliberate about making God bigger. That's what they prayed. Acts chapter four, verse 24. Let's go back and see how they pray from then then. Verse 25. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. I want you to see what they did here. We already know that they've quoted from Jeremiah chapter one. They've quoted from Psalm 146. And now they do this extensive quote from Psalm two. And this is important because as they're praying and looking to God, they are making the foundation of their prayer, the word of God. They're holding on to scripture. They're basing their life on something that they know will last and that they can trust in. They've had three quotations here now from their scriptures, the Old Testament, and this shows something to us, that in times of trouble, our weapon is God's word. That when you face a struggle, when you face a trial, the best place to start is to go back to his word, to find a promise, to find a truth, to find a a principle that you can hold on to even in the midst of the ups and downs of life. In the midst of trouble, our best weapon is God's word. We we see this over and over again in scripture, right? Ephesians chapter six, verse 17 says that as as we fight the battles that we fight in life, we use the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. If you remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, what did he use to respond to those temptations? 
He used the word of God. He used scripture. There's power in that because the promises of God encourage the children of God. And so we hold on to his promises. So for some of you, you might say, okay, well, I'm facing a challenge. How do I find a scripture for me to hold on to or to to use in prayer or to make the foundation of my life? Well, I just want to encourage you with a few things. One, I would say just open God's word and that you would spend time reading. Find Find a Bible reading plan. Find some way to read God's word. I can't tell you how many times I've been reading something from God's word and thinking that that passage wouldn't apply to me and I walk away surprised by the way the Holy Spirit helps me through that. Anybody else? Just being in his word helps us. For some, for some of us, we may find ourselves in a place where we go, well, I'm dealing with fear, or I'm dealing with doubt, or, or I've got issues with my finances, or whatever it is. One of the best things you can do, the internet is, is awesome. You could literally go to a search engine and just type in scriptures about fear and watch what comes up. Google can be an awesome theologian and can send you some resources then that you can find verses that fit the situation you're in and have promises for you to hold on to. Maybe you know somebody that's, that's been through a similar situation to the one you're in, and to say to them, hey, were there any scriptures, were there any promises from God's word that helped you as you went through that season in your life? And what's important here is that the disciples pray, right? And so they, they start by recognizing that God is the supreme authority over everything, that he made everything, that they can trust him because he's bigger than the circumstances that they face. And then they pray this passage from Psalm 2. Why, why this passage? Why would they pick this passage in Psalm 2? It says, why do the nations rage? And why do the kings plot in vain? Why do they try to rise up against God? I think this passage is important, and, and let me show you two things about it. One is... It helps us to be reminded that we should expect opposition. When you're doing what God has called you to do, don't be surprised or get caught off guard if you face some kind of opposition. In those times, you expect opposition. When God calls us to do something, it's not unusual that there might be some resistance that comes our way. Now, let me just encourage you, don't call opposition something that isn't opposition. Opposition is not the same as godly counsel. If there are people who love you and love God and are advising you in a certain way that you don't like, it might not be that they're giving you opposition. It might be that they're giving you wisdom and you just don't like it. The other side is don't call opposition something that is actually a divine roadblock. There have been times in my life when I've wanted to go in a certain direction and God has put roadblocks in front of me and I may be frustrated by those things But that's not opposition. That's God helping me to not make the mistakes I would make on my own. Does that make sense? What's opposition? Opposition comes from those who are not of the same heart as God. And whether they realize it or not, the desire is to stop what God is trying to do for reasons that would keep God from accomplishing his purpose. And and there will be all kinds of ways that if you're trying to live the life that God's called you to live, that you may face opposition, you may face frustration, You may face disappointment. You may feel like you you don't fit in. There's all these things that could happen. I I would rather mention that now than have you be surprised by it later. So the truth is you can expect opposition, but also know this, and this is a key part of Psalm 2, that God's plan will ultimately prevail over earthly people and powers. I don't know what it'll look like, and I don't know how it might work out, but know this, that ultimately the plan of God for your life And for the situation you find yourself in, his plan will prevail 
over people and powers, and ultimately, you can put your trust and your confidence in him. And the disciples help us to see this, all right? So they, they pray, and they recognize that God is greater than their challenge. Then they quote this passage from Psalm 2, and then they say this. Watch, let's go back to the text, verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. That's, that's really important and interesting there because they take the prophecy in Psalm 2 and they connect it directly to what happened to Jesus to show that Jesus is the one fulfilling this passage of scripture and then they say everything that happened happened the way that you planned for it to happen. Now there's a whole lot there that, that's deeper than we have the time to go into but recognize that when you go through challenges in life, is God caught off guard by those things? Does he think that, oh man, how, how's this gonna work out? Know this, God is never caught off guard by the situations that we face. When we come up against struggles and trials, we can trust him because he knows the outcome. He knows his plan. He knows what he's gonna work out even through those difficult times. You can trust him in those times, which then takes us, I think, to the most important part of this passage of scripture. So you've got the disciples. They've been threatened that persecution will come if they continue to, to preach. They come together. Their initial response is to pray. It's, it's their first response, not their last resort. They say, God, we realize that our challenge is big, but you're bigger than our challenge. And so even in the midst of this opposition, we believe that we can put our trust in you because you have a plan. You're not caught off guard by this. And then they pray something that to me, quite honestly, is, is surprising. Acts 4.29, look at what they say. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. If I'd been praying that, I think I'd have said, Lord, consider their threats and stop them. Lord, consider their threats and put a lizard-looking sock in their mouth. Lord, consider their threats and protect us or deliver us. Lord, consider their threats and, and send judgment to them. And instead of praying for protection or deliverance or judgment or vengeance, they pray for boldness. They say, God, in the midst of this situation that we find ourselves in, in the midst of this opposition, in the midst of life's ups and downs, Lord, we, we know you can change this. Lord, we know that you can do miracles, and we give this situation to you. But Lord, our prayer isn't that you change the situation. Our prayer is that you change us. God, that you make us who you want us to be. Lord, that you help us to fulfill the call that you've put in our lives. And here's the principle I hope you'll grasp here. Before you ask God to change your situation, ask God to change yourself. I think there's a lot of times where we look at the struggles and challenges in life and we want to put blame somewhere else or we want to rationalize something away or we want to try to forget what's going on and we, we want the situation to change when what God might be saying is, 
I'm not wanting to change the situation. What I'm really wanting to change is you. They didn't pray for deliverance. They prayed for boldness to do what God had called them to do. Read a, read a really interesting story lately. 1961, eight-year-old boy sitting in a school classroom in, in Fresno, California. And his teacher looked out at him, and when she did, she noticed that he was all glassy-eyed and just super pale. It wasn't like him. Something was wrong. And so when she got to him, she could tell that his heart was racing and his breathing was exaggerated and something wasn't right. So called the school nurse, nurse calls mom, mom gets there, something's not right with this little guy. By that time, they find out that he's confused, that he's having like twitches in his muscles, he's having abdominal cramps, and in this moment, he has nausea and then all these other things that you don't want me to mention just before lunch on a Sunday afternoon. And they're like, something's not right here. So they rush him to the hospital. They start running all these tests, trying to figure out what's going on. And fortunately, the doctor had experience with what it was like with people in that agricultural part of that community who would have exposure to these pesticides and these toxins and said, I, th I think he's been exposed to something that's literally poisoning him started to treat him from that. He responded very favorably. And in a relatively short period of time, he came back like to, to full health. He responded. He was actually very fortunate that this, this doctor was there, that they figured it out and that things didn't get a whole lot worse. Very fortunate that he lived. So they sent him home, said, come back and see me in about a week. Six days later, he goes back to the doctor. The doctor checks him out looks him over, gives him a full physical and says, look, you, you look fine, buddy. You're healthy. You're strong. This is great. Glad this was just whatever it was. We'll, we'll have to watch out for this, but hope everything's good. Mom and him get in the car. They're heading home. As they're driving home, the symptoms kick in again, this time with the vengeance. And they go back and they're like, doc, something's wrong here. And then, so they start looking. They, they treat him again. He responds favorably, but they say, look, somewhere he's being exposed to this toxin we got to figure out what's going on. So they start checking our local farmers spraying this stuff. And they're not. Nobody's, nobody's like putting this stuff out in the environment. They start looking. Is it somewhere in their garage? Is it in their home? Is it in their car? Why is it that he keeps having this response? And as they do the research, they find out that every time he has this response, he's wearing the same pair of jeans. And they're thinking, these, he's got poison pants. Like, what's, what's going on here? So they take these jeans and they take them to this lab where they put them, it's fascinating to me. Some of you are asleep, it's fascinating to me. They take these jeans and they put them in this caged mosquito colony, put the jeans in there. Within 15 minutes, all the mosquitoes are dead. How many of you want those pants for your back porch? Right? And they're like, something's wrong with these pants. Here's, here's what they come to find out. That a couple weeks before this, there was a, a truck that had a shipment of farm equipment pesticide and clothing all together. In the midst of shipping this, there was a container that fell over that had five gallons of this pesticide and a bunch of it spilled on this, this shipment of jeans that were there. And so it just kind of dried up. Somebody cleaned it up. They took care of it, didn't think anything about it. But the jeans now weren't as good as new. So they weren't received by the people they were being shipped to. The trucking company was stuck with these jeans. And so the trucking company had a salvage sale where they sold all kinds of stuff. And this little guy's mom bought five pair of them. And that's what was poisoning her son. It wasn't anything in the environment. It wasn't anything in their house. Literally, what was poisoning him was what he had on him. Now, here's the truth. For some of us, the struggles we face, the challenges we have in life, we're quick to blame it on all kinds of other stuff. 
and we want to put it on our situation or our circumstances or the things that are around us when the reality is that the issues that we have are things that we've actually put on ourselves. And that if we want to move forward in life, if we want to get past the ups and downs, if we want to move beyond this challenge, our prayer is not, God, would you change everything around me? Our prayer needs to be, God, would you change me? And there may be some things that you have to strip off of yourself to get the poison out of your system before you're ever going to be able to move forward with health. Does that make sense? And so the disciples didn't pray, God, deal with our problems. They said, God, deal with us. Help us to be the people you've called us to be. If you've chosen for us to move forward as your witnesses, then God, let us do it with boldness. Let us do it with the calling that you've given to us. The reality is the strength of your character is more important than the size of your challenge. And I don't know what the challenge is that you're facing, but God's not really all that concerned about your challenge. He's concerned about your heart. And for some of you, you need to change your prayers and say, God, instead of changing my family, God, change me so that I can in part change my family. God, help me to be the person you've called me to be in my workplace. Lord, let me move forward as the witness that you want me to be, even in the midst of peer pressure. Lord, even in the midst of the struggles and the trials that I'm facing, God, help me not to shift blame onto the circumstances or these things that are around me, but instead help me to realize, God, that before you want to change my circumstances, you want to change me and realize this. I think there's times when God says, I would be happy to change your circumstances. I just want to see you change yourself first. For many of us, God can't change our circumstances because of what we've put on ourselves instead. And the principle here is so powerful. God, I'm going to pray that you will change me more than I pray that you change what's going on around me. And so watch what happens next, verse 30, Acts chapter four. Stretch out your hand to heal, they pray, and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That, that's a powerful phrase there, stretch out your hand. God, do what only you can do. God, show up and do your work. And the reality here is that so many times we worry about situations and we try to fix them when instead God says, if you will look to me and if you will let me be at work in your life, then I will do what only I can do. Believe that God will be God as you serve him faithfully, as you look to him and you trust him and put your hope in him. Serve him and he'll do what only he can do, which is exactly what happens in this story. Last verse, Acts chapter four, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Three things that I, I, I pull away from that verse that I think are really important. One, you've got to trust God to make himself known. Look, they prayed that prayer and then God shows up. It says the place was shaken. That's something you see repeatedly in scripture. It happened in the book of Exodus on Mount Sinai when Moses got the law. It happened in Isaiah chapter six when God calls Isaiah to go and be his, his servant and to be his mouthpiece. And you see it happen here again because God's showing something. He's saying, look, I am proving to you that I am here. God will make himself known in your life if you trust him too. And for some of us, instead of us trying to fix it, we need to say, God, I trust you to make yourself known. Now, I don't think that means that your, your workplace or your school is gonna start shaking tomorrow. But God may use you to shake some people's lives as you trust him. Trust God to make himself known and trust God to renew you. Look, for some of us, we're, we're tired and we're worn out. And what's interesting in this passage is that it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
these are the same people who were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Now they're being filled with the Holy Spirit again in Acts chapter 4. Why? Because there are times when we just need renewal. For many of us, in these next few moments, as we worship God together, this may be the time for you to just open up your hearts and lift your hands to the Lord and say, God, I just need you to renew me. I need you to fill me with your spirit. I can't, I can't face the ups and downs of life on my own. God, I need you at work in my life. Trust God to make himself known in your situation. Trust him to renew you. And I would encourage you, trust God to empower you. If he's called you to do something, if he's called you to go through this season, if he's called you to lead in a certain way or to do something that may even be out of your comfort zone, trust him that he will empower you. My hope today is that we've been able to, as we've looked at this story, to give you just some good tools to know how important it is to be around God's people, to pray first and not as a last resort, to use God's word as a weapon for victory, that when we face a big challenge, that we make God bigger, that we don't worry about our situations, but we pray for God to give us boldness to be who he's called us to be and believe that God will show up. Do you remember we talked about being in the ups and downs of life? Sometimes we find ourselves in that place. And in the midst of these places, when, when there's challenges, when we're in life's ups and downs, what if we trusted God to help us in those moments to be who he's called us to be? Back in 1860s, there was, a, there was a, an architect in, in Liverpool, England, who created a new kind of elevator. It was called a, a paternoster lift. And the idea behind it was that it was an elevator that would move continuously. It just moved perpetually. And here's, here's what it would do. It was almost like a little human conveyor belt. This elevator, when you would walk up to it, it would have two doors, and they were always open. And this, this Paternoster lift would just go, and it had these little capsules, and it would just kind of move. And the capsule would start, and it would go down. And when it reached the basement, it would go to the side, and then it would go up. And when it reached the top, it would go over, and then it would go down again. And the same belt would move repeatedly, and it had these little capsules. And so if you wanted a ride on the elevator, you would stand there, and you would wait. If you needed to go up, you'd wait for the one that was going up. And when it came to you, you would kind of have to hop into that capsule. And then when it would go around to wherever you needed to get off, if you had to go all the way to the top and go back down or whatever it would be, whenever you would get there, you'd get to the floor. And then when it reached your floor, you'd have to jump out. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Sounds terrifying, doesn't it? Somebody thought this was a good idea. And so this was how this, this Paternoster lift would work. You'd jump in. When you got to the right spot, you'd jump out. And it became very popular all over Europe in, in that season of time. And then for some reason, beyond my comprehension, they decided to do it differently for safety concerns. I don't get it, but they decided to change it. There's probably about 60 of them, mostly in Eastern Europe, that, that still kind of operate in different places. And it made me think about many of us that in our lives, we, we kind of get stuck in this spot where we just kind of keep riding life's ups and downs. And we just kind of get stuck in that place. Life goes up, and life goes down. Life goes up, and life goes down. And we get stuck in that place when maybe it's time for you to get off the ride. And I think sometimes we say to God, God, would you change my situation? God, would you change my circumstances? God, I'm tired of the ups and downs that I face. I'm not saying you won't have challenges and issues, but it doesn't have to affect you at your core if you'll trust him through the midst of those things. And sometimes we say, God, I'm tired of the ups and downs. And God says, me too, get off. And have the boldness to not put the blame on your circumstances, but to put your trust in me. Pray first, not last. Use my word to hold on to. And trust me in that situation. And for some of us, 
even when it feels like it's us against the world, we know we can trust him and he'll help you to have the boldness to move forward for his plan for your life and your home and your work and the things that he has in mind for you to do. So would you do this? Would you stand with me today? And we're gonna, we're gonna begin some public declaration. We're gonna sing songs that take the things we've, talking about, we've talked about today and allow them to be our worship and our prayer to God. In fact, before we even do, would you just lift your hands to the Lord? And I know that for some of you, this, this message has been very, um, very just close to home. And would you just say to God in this moment, God, I look to you. Lord, I don't blame my circumstance or situation. God, I put my trust in you. God, I ask that you would remind me that you're bigger than the challenge I face and that you're stronger than the things that I'm up against. And God, that you can be trusted in the midst of this, that God, I can look to you and know that you are my hope, that you are my strength. God, in this moment, I put my confidence in you. Lord, I give this situation to you. Lord, I'm depending on you. In Jesus' name, amen.